Welcome to every one of our fellow Singular DTV token holders, enthusiasts, and followers. My name is Miguel Martinez. I am Singular DTV's community manager. This is our Singular 4C podcast. Today's episode is named and Blockchain for All. With us today is Aaron Steinberg, who is a new addition to our incredible team and a great talented person. And we will be talking about music industry in particular. Um, what are the struggles, the pains, and the deal with actually being a musician, an artist, a songwriter nowadays, and how it had been in the past and how it is right now. Aaron, thank you for taking the time and joining us today. Uh, how are you doing, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing so good. Uh, it's it's exciting to share our first conversation to each other ever over a podcast about music, so we can uh, geek out here. But um, it's it's so it's so cool to see people that are this passionate about improving just the working environment for musicians and filmmakers and artists at Singularity TV. Uh, so I'm 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 pumped to have this this convo with you here. Sure thing. You know, one of the one of the first things that I have to say is music publishing royalties was kind of the geek out moment I had back in college because I went in just for the technical aspect. I was just the guitar player of this uh, tribute metal band and I wanted to rock the world and oh, I wanted cool. to be like this great this great guitar player. But to be honest with you, I suck at playing, <laughs> no. at, at, at playing guitar. Every time someone says like, oh, Miguel, Miguel, you actually play guitar? I'm like, no, I just I just seem like I'm doing really good. Like there's actually Guitar Hero players that are <laughs> better than me. Trust me. <laughs> hey, Guitar Hero was the reason I learned how to play guitar myself, man. That was that was some uh, some great stuff. And then School of Rock. Also, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but. Of course. Uh, awesome movie. Of course. Yeah, but wait, tell me more. What what made you want to learn how to play guitar? What were some of your influences? Um, well, my my main influence was well, I started listening to Slipknot in you know their first huge release, nice. and everyone. I was back in tenth grade, junior high, and everyone is you know starting to listen to Deftones and Corn and. Limp Bizkit and, you know, all this new uh, Family Ballads Tour participating bands. Right. Family Ballads. Yeah, that's old school. That's legit. <laughs> and and then I started, you know, ever since I was two years old, my sisters were 11 and, and nine years older than me. So by the time that I was two years old, three years old, I already knew who was Poison, Striper, uh, Great Big White, um, Van Halen. I already knew who was Metallica, Megadeth, uh, Air Supply. Yes, I said Air Supply. <laughs> um, Queen. I already knew all these bands by the time I was, I was three years old. And Michael Jackson had a huge influence on me because the Bad album was released in 1987. Oh. I was in diapers. I used to imitate him. <laughs> and I wanted to be just like Michael Jack Jackson. By the way, I cannot dance at all. <laughs> Which is funny because everyone's like, but you're Puerto Rican, right? And I'm like, yes, but I, I, can't, I can't for the life of me. I don't have rhythm in my body so obviously 15 years old uh teenage angst nirvana all 
you know old school guitar players and such and i said you know what um let's let's just go ahead and pick up a guitar and be part of the in crowd and we started playing together we went i went through like 17 bands Wow. And everyone, everyone was just like, uh, you know, this kid uh, doesn't have the attitude because I was, I was the, you know, the nice schoolboy who didn't want to get the problem with the, pa- in trouble with his parents. Um, <laughs> did you ever play any shows? Uh, I did actually. As a matter of fact, I played about four shows. Two of them suck really bad. Oh. Two of them were really great, and then. Uh, my band broke up and I decided to go to school at Full Sail University, actually, uh, in Orlando. And I went for the technical aspect of things. I wanted to be the guy behind the, production. you know, the, gla- the, the glass being the production side of things and recording engineer and so on and so oh. forth. Then I decided to go from the, you know, from the associate's degree to the bachelor's degree and move forward to the entertainment business. When we got into the music music publishing and the record label class, then we got into the production class, and then we got into touring, managing, and right. and all, all of the good stuff. That's when I went like, "Whoa, this is a nightmare! How <laughs> how is they how is anyone actually supposed to do any money?" And then we started like there, there was a research paper that they asked us to write, and I went looking for like my favorite bands and artists, and we were looking at how. How were they? How they were, you know, taken advantage of throughout history, right. and then I, I stumbled upon Aerosmith, which we briefly talked about in our second episode in the Singular Four C with uh, G. Thomas. Okay, and I was surprised at how they had one of the worst contracts in the seventies, where they would split fifty percent of everything they would make and fifty percent of the songwriters' deal with their with their original managers and then when wow. those managers sold their their 50% catalog they sold it for 17 million dollars and none none of the Aerosmith band members actually got to see a single dime out of that so uh, you know taking coming from coming from this point and knowing about ASCAP, CSAC, BMI, Harry right. Fox agency which was already you know brought in and bought in by a, one of the music publishers and how everything now is basically a mega studios and there's you can either go with mega studios or very 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 indie mm-hmm. and how is how is it that anyone can actually make anything right now because we have so many mechanisms through iTunes Spotify but you are not able to actually keep your rights or you're not able to actually dictate how much that you're going to make or you're not even able to say i want to get paid by this time every every month or instantaneously or i have to wait for a check every six months and i have to trust that whatever account accountant uh, record that they did is actually true so you know from your perspective from your background talk to us about your background and you know because i know where you're coming from Right. But let let the listener know your background and you know how is the, how is it that the music industry actually works for songwriters, musicians, and performers? There's 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 some really really big problems that we need to solve uh, in the music industry. But I'll back up all the way. So yeah. my 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 experience is more so around the the songwriter side, right? So I started playing yeah. guitar and super early. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, so you know I grew up on that country music and in rock music uh 
And slowly, as I got more into college, I started to write my own songs. And that's where I kind of hit my pivotal moment, like yourself. Um, I started learning so much more about the music industry. I created my own publishing company. I um, had to you know, establish myself under one of the performance rights organizations that you mentioned, like BMI, ASCAP. And I started learning, how do I monetize my music? That is like the stepping stone from being an amateur musician to a professional musician is how do I actually make money from this thing? So let's lay out the entire music industry um, just for the listeners real quick. There's so many intermediaries involved in, in collecting any revenue uh, from creating your music. So artists spend years of their life creating their first record, right? As I'm sure you have, you've created music. It's, it's an expensive process and it's a very time in terms of time and, and money, it's an expensive process, right? Uh, right. So I could spend a year making my album. I could spend tens of thousands of dollars on my record from recording expenses, from producers, um, other songwriters, uh, getting my, my tracks mastered, getting them mixed. It's a very expensive process. And after I've done that, now it's time to distribute it to the people because people need to hear it, right? And in order to do that, right. we hit the intermediaries. We hit performance rights organizations, who collect revenue from the radio, the television, the people playing your music at live performance, at bars, at clubs. They're the ones that collect the revenue for you, and they're the intermediary in that position. And then right. on top of that, you must establish establish yourself with a publisher, right? So publishers collect your mechanical royalties, which we can, we can dive into that a little further later. And you're also your sync royalties. So if you ever write music for a film or a television show, they'll collect royalties from that, but also from your streaming on Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal. Um, so they're the ones in charge of collecting your royalties from more of the digital end, right? And they're taking a percentage off the top of your revenue. So not only are you spending all of your money and time and effort, but these organizations are collecting a huge portion of your revenue, right? Right, right. And then on top of that, you could you could belong to a record label. And so just to put some numbers out there for people, if you're one of the biggest superstars in the world right now, you might be earning 20% of your royalties from your music from a record label, which is pretty insane that even if you're the biggest superstar, you're only receiving 20% of your royalties. If you're a new artist, it's going to be significantly less than that. So you you can hear about all these intermediaries taking a piece of your music revenue, which now record sales are significantly down from when they used to be, right? Because of digital streaming. And there's all this new technology injected into this entertainment industry and the music industry. So we need to figure out new ways to monetize it. But it's very hard for a musician uh, to to digitally make money. I don't know if you want to elaborate further on your, your experience with all the publishers, the performance rights organizations, record labels? Um, I do have to say that it is quite surprising how people don't realize that there has been a shift ever since the smartphone came into play and streaming came into play in the music industry. Right. And how is it that it's very fast and extremely volatile to actually come out as a new artist and you know be well known across the world and be everywhere and your song is in every single place and at the same time you're broke right people don't realize that tony braxton tlc right. even even prince those three artists in the 90s they were broke right and Pr prince actually used to record bass 
drums, guitars, synth, keyboards, sing on all, all of his songs. Crazy. Then he would actually go, he would record a song a day. Then he would go back to the vault and say, I, I feel like this should be the theme of my new album. He would choose the songs that he would have recorded throughout time go to the label and say, hey, I want to release this. And the label would say no. And right. obviously we all know about the, the 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 phase where he went through to get out of the contract with uh, Warner Brothers. Then yeah. we all know how that turned out. Prince actually is a hero to the music industry. And TLC actually, you know, made a huge deal about we are touring the world. We're going to movies. We're number one in BH1, MTV, everywhere. But they were only making $60,000 per year. And Tony Braxton had Grammys, had won awards. She was like in at the moment, but she right. was not making any money. And this is way before streaming came into play. Right. So we are talking about artists that actually had gold gold uh, albums or they even had platinum albums. Right. And we have to understand that nowadays there's no platinum albums. There, there is actually one. I can't remember the name of it, but it's been such a long time since the days of Backstreet Boys and Sync, Britney Spears, uh, Christina Aguilera. You know, I'm mentioning those four because in 1999, they were the kings and queens of uh, TRL, Total Request Live, with with Carson Daly at MTV. And it was really important because that was the show that if you actually got to be there in the top 10, you were good. Sure. That was a breaking point. That was success because yeah. that would translate into album sales, that would translate into requests, that would translate into playing your song, mass media, worldwide recognition, so on and so forth. Totally. But to, today, you just upload your song to Spotify and you hope and pray to the divinity of your preference that your song actually gets there and it's played more than 500,000 times per month just so you can actually make about $1,440 per month out of those 500000 that's been played. So if you do the math and you divide uh, 1440 times 500, I'm actually doing it right now just out of, cu- just out of curiosity. They're actually making 0.003%. Yeah, it's cents on the dollar. So you're not even making – you're not even making – you know, 1% of actually what you're supposed to be getting. So how many times do you actually have to, to, to get played on Spotify or on iTunes to actually earn revenue? And let's, let's, let's quickly say this 30% of what actually happens on iTunes, yep. it's those directly, directly to Apple's pocket. So those, the rest of that 70% has to be divided between everyone. And then you have situations such as Michael Jackson when he did, um, you know, Trailer, then he did Bad, then he did the other record, um, Dangerous. Those three records, I believe, that were produced, I'm going to stick to Thriller. Thriller was produced by... Quincy Jones? Quincy Jones, thank you. Okay, so Michael Jackson recorded Thriller and the producer was Quincy Jones. And Quincy Jones actually made a really good deal from his side Whatever actually he, whatever, how many, it didn't matter how many amount of records Thriller would sell, uh-huh. he would get a cut from the gross, from the gross, not from the net, from the gross. Right, right. So when we started after Michael passed away, they started reissuing and remastering all the albums. Right. And then all of a sudden, Quincy didn't get a cut of the new 
thriller remaster.、Uh-huh. So, guess what ended up happening? He probably wanted his piece, right? Right. So he sued, and he actually got his piece. So even after Michael Jackson passed away, that all of his intellectual property actually is supposed to go to his children. You know, his、right. his heirs. And- No, still Quincy Jones gets gets his cut, and I'm not trying to portray Quincy Jones as the bad guy here. I'm trying to explain how the music industry works. That even after you think, "Hey, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna do a remaster," and at that point in time, we're just you know taking an old product, an old intellectual property, and just revamping it. We get rid of the old contract. Uh uh uh. If you read your old contract, you have to realize that if you ever take that. That master record, and you just alter it in any way, shape, or form, in any format, you're still going to have to pay everyone that was involved、right. in that. You have、right. to, you have to own that. So, I taking. Go ahead. Yeah, no, man. I think I think this is this is what the music industry has turned into today. You know, people are trying to trying to scrape up every piece that they deserve for their work, and it happens a lot in songwriting, right? Like. If I hear a melody that is somewhat even close to similar, I think this happened recently with a、uh, so Ed Sheeran released、uh, "Shape of You," which was a huge. I think it was probably number one, right? And on the pop right. charts,、um, right? In TLC, the writers of、uh, TLC's "The No Scrubs," there's a there's a melody line that sounds very similar, and they actually got songwriter credit on Ed Sheeran's "Shape of You" for that melody, just because it sounded a little a little close. So, it's just things like this is kind of nitpicking. Everyone's nitpicking. So that they can get their piece of the pie, and this—I mean, it's—it's it's just part of being in a creative environment, right? Everything, everyone is an influence of everybody. So I think if I'm creating a new song, my—I'm not going to create something completely unique, right? Because I have my own influences. John Mayer could be my influence, and maybe I sound a little melodically like him, or maybe、uh, Chance the Rapper. I really like—I really like his new introduction to rap music, and I'll introduce some of that into my music. So I I really think it's we're we're moving into this very independent world where where everyone is trying to be a little more creative and wants a little more insight into their revenue、um, without just having to enter this black box of intermediaries like performance rights organizations, publishers, working with lawyers all the time. Everyone's moving towards being more independent. Let's just take our case for example. Right. You said that you started playing guitar, then you decided to go pro, and you went the、um, music publishing、right. route because you know that's the next step to be legit. Correct. You know, I'm I'm not just some kid to actually just see if I can make it. I'm actually making it on my own. And、right. this this is actually the route that everyone started going in 2000. They said, you know what, I'm not going to record in the studio. Um, branded by the label, I'm not gonna use the producer that they tell me. I'm gonna do my own stuff.、Right. I'm gonna produce it myself, and I'm just gonna use it for distribution, which is a completely other subject.、Uh, right. I'm not gonna touch on today. So you say I'm gonna do the must the music publishing, and you want to record your you want to you know record your record, you want to produce it, then you want to master it. Then、yep. you have to decide which format are you going with. Are you gonna go the the route with,、um, let's say, CD Baby? Not a sponsoring,、uh-huh. by the way. <laughs> I'm gonna go with CD Baby for distribution, but I'm gonna use for physical method. I'm gonna、uh, I'm gonna go with a small indie label.、Um, you know,、yeah. how does that 
how do I just mentioned like five steps? How does that actually influence on your take on your royalties on your earnings as an independent musician? Right. No. As I mean, the hard part gets. So we'll, let's start with the production piece, right? Right. So as an independent musician, I am I'm paying for all of the production costs. So I'm paying for any recording fees. I'm paying for any producers that I have on. Um, I'm paying for any studio musicians that I might need. I'm paying for the mixing, the mastering of my tracks to make it recording, the recording, a quality recording, right? How much is mastering one track? It could, it's a, it's a variety, but it could be anywhere from like $100 to $500 to master one right. track. Um, so, and mixing, mixing is even more expensive than mastering. Uh, but yeah. But sometimes an artist can't afford to do all that, right? So they have to get a record deal or a publishing deal. And when you sign that deal, usually you're giving a percentage of your royalties to that record company or the publishing company. So already, just because you can't afford your production costs, you have to forfeit a huge percentage of your royalties to the record label or the publisher, right? Right. And then... Now you finally have your record complete. It's it's ready to go, release to the world. Now you need to distribute it on distribution platforms. So like you said, if I put it on iTunes, iTunes takes 30% off the top of each, each uh, record sold, right? And now sometimes if I distribute with like CD Baby, for example, they're going to take a fee for distributing my record. Um, TuneCore will take a fee for distributing my record to all of the distribution platforms. And it gets very, it's, it's, it's honestly, it just, the, the revenue trickles down to you. You're the last person to get paid. And it might be a very small percentage of what, what it, your music actually earned versus what you receive. So I think, I think the, ne the, the, the next big question someone asks is, is just how, how, can we, how can we avoid using all these intermediaries? Or what do you think the future of the music industry looks like? It's kind of blurry, to be honest with you, because you have this huge, already well-established musicians, and it's very rare to actually get someone come out of nowhere and take you by storm. Right. And that used to happen between 1996 and 2004. I remember when uh, Bring Me to Life came out of nowhere from Evanescence, and it came from a completely unknown record label. And the, their only other client that they had was Creed at that moment. Right. And Creed was the, actually that record labels and that producer's first ever uh, band, musician, group, whatever. And it would take you by surprise and you would be like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. I want to buy the record and I want to support them. And because that label at that moment was independent, they were actually given a huge opportunity to come out and do their stuff i mean my own prison from crit was very in a very intimate record then we had human clay and right those that album actually hit home for a lot, whole lot of people and it got so so it gets so much place it, it sold very quickly then we had the, their third record which well it was a <laughs> it was their third record and <laughs> And, 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 you know, it took you by surprise. Evanescence came out and it was really good. It hit with the, with the whole goth 
scene that was coming out at that time. I remember calling them Jedi Knights when, <laughs> when, I, was, when I was growing up. And, you know, it you would have that type of things. Actually, Limp Biscuit came out of nowhere. The only reason why they exploded was because they were supposed to do a presentation, but they were actually in Mexico at that point in time, I believe it was. And the band that was supposed to play in Spring Break MTV canceled. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, we have this, guys. Why don't we just bring it up, up to the stage? And that's how Limp Biscuit came to be. And that's how they got so huge because it was rap metal. It was something new. You had a DJ. You had a, the most weird guitar player in the world. Shout out to Wes Borland. I love him. <laughs> um, you had John Otto. I mean, Fred Durst was a very unique character. Every single me member of the band was a unique character. And it was refreshing. But now we're, we're going back to like the 60s and the 50s where everyone had to act, talk, and sing a certain way and you can't there's not there's not there's no sound you know like if you hear someone treading on a guitar you're like yep that's Van Halen that's the right. dude or if you hear like someone just going wow wow pedal all the way it's like yep that's Kirk Hammett right. or if you go like wow this is really heavy really angry really r really out there yep that's Dave Mustaine you got it and you you don't have that anymore. You don't have, you don't have legends such as as Kiss. Gene Simmons says it every single chance he gets. There's never going to be another Kiss. There's never going to be another act that is a legend because right now we're so focused on playlists, on hits, on on platforms, on digital sales, and there's no records. There's no revenue. There's no way to actually be an entrepreneur which is something that bands such as, again, Kiss, Metallica, Led Zeppelin, um, The Who, they were able to do that. But we, right. we're, not, we're not getting that. We're all getting, um, you know, either you're Beyonce level or you are Pitbull level, Mr. 305, Mr. <laughs> Wide level, or you're just the kid trying to actually make it on Spotify. Right. You're, you're not in that level. You're, you're no longer... Throughout traditional channels, you no longer have that pathway to actually make it there, which is one of the reasons why I, as soon as I found out who uh, DJ Grammatic was, I fell in love with his music because I thought that he just said, you know what? I don't care. Here's my music. Download it. Enjoy it. Share it. You, you distribute it yourself. I'm here. You want to you want to hear me live? Book me. I'll tour. I'll go wherever you want right. me to, and that's it. Because right. people forget that how actually artists make money. It's touring. It's right. not actually from record sales. At least if they sign up with a label. Right. So that's why I say it's kind of blurry. I mean, everyone wants to everyone wants to be like you know the huge rappers throwing hundred G's all all about and such, but we're not seeing that. 50 cent already it's i'm gonna say it's not the 50 cent that i that i grew up with you know 50 cent came out of my senior year in high school and i remember i was like this is the guy this is gonna be cool and i'm not into hip-hop but i recognize good music and 50 cent was really good music is really good music but we could see that the deals that he made uh, unfortunately were not were not that good uh, at one point in time um 
Slim Shady, Eminem had to go away for a while. Obviously, one, first to focus on his personal life, but at the same time was kind of like, you know, let the record deal just go out and then come back stronger and stronger than ever. Um, so we have very two opposite poles to actually make it in the music industry and actually earn a living. We're not talking about earning millions of dollars. If you do that, that's awesome. If especially if you do it doing what you love and and you do it enjoying everything, that's great. But it's very hard nowadays with everyone just so focused and making contracts that are so tight. You have no room to breathe. You have to give up the way you act, the way you talk. You can't use your own Twitter if you do that. Um, there's there's you know there's issues that you might get into. Your PR might might get into um, how you're supposed to act. And yeah, you know there's there's responsibilities that you have with your with your fans and with the people that support you. And there's moral uh, obligations that each one of us have in each one of our different personas that we have throughout our lives. But right now, if I say I'm gonna record an album, and I want to be the next, I want to be the next striper for some reason, it's very difficult to right. go that route. And that being said, Aaron, from your perspective, how does the legacy music industry translate into the new blockchain technology, where blockchain is for everyone? Where any any band can actually just say, you know what, I'm not gonna go legacy world. I'm actually gonna go through Tokit with from Singular GTB. That I'm gonna go that route, and I'm right. gonna go the way blockchain. How does that translate? Right. Well, I think like you, you made you made many good points. I mean, the the legacy music industry, it's music industry is changing faster than ever. Right. Um, you mentioned that it's very difficult for an artist to monetize digitally at all if you're a new artist. Only the the superstars are making significant funds um, off digital platforms. But I think when I heard about blockchain, it was like it was like a revelation to me that like this is the solution to the music industry. This is everything that we've been looking for, a transparent ledger where you can see clearly see all of the transactions, all of the royalties flowing. Um, you can, can tr keep track of all of the rights of the music. There's not going to be any discrepancies. Everything's going to be clearly laid out in front of you. And I think, I don't know if you follow the news in America lately, but the Music Modernization Act is a huge topic where the government is starting to step in to try to create uh, a centralized database of information uh, for songwriters to keep track of their, their rights information. I think uh, that's a great step in the right direction. But yeah. I think the next step after that is decentralization. So they're creating so many centralized entities to keep track of all of this information, but that's just going to create more and more of a black box the way I see it. I think it needs to be decentralized and transparent. Thus, I think the blockchain is clearly the best solution. So the Tokit, where, which uh, that's Singular DTV's rights management gateway platform. Now, if I'm a new artist, I don't have to just put my... Um, music out there on SoundCloud. Um, I can I can try to raise funds for my record, right? So rather than the typical uh, crowdfunding uh, gateway um, token, you can launch your own token 
right? So if I'm a new artist, I can create my own token for myself. I could tokenize my my first record um, to raise funds, and then I can you my my supporters online can help me take my my creative sound wherever I want to go. I don't need a record label to control that. I can go into the studio with my funding and create that record I've always wanted to create. And then after I've created the record, we can then uh, go ahead and put that record up on our distribution platform, which is to come uh, called EtherVision, which is a working title, um, where I can monetize my content. And I can see transparently how many people are buying my record, how much revenue is flowing to me versus my investors, how what what exactly is my piece of the pie and there's no black box there's no hidden formula it's transparent and i think transparent music platforms are the future and um also more efficient it could take me you know 6 months to 2 years to even get paid out for my my legacy music industry royalties right but um in on the blockchain it's going to happen so so much quicker um so I think we're moving in a great direction with Singular DTV. I'm going to read one paragraph. Um, well, actually, it's just one sentence from this book that I had that they gave me back in college in 2007. Okay. It's, the book is Legal Aspects of the Music Industry, an Insider's View of the Legal and Practical Aspects of the Music Business, written by Richard Schellenberg. And I quote, I want to state at the outset that the economics of the recording industry are such that the odds of are overwhelmingly against making great sums of money through a recording agreement. He goes on later to say, if enough records are sold, the opportunity will arise to go back in and renegotiate the royalty provisions. Right. And last thing that I want to say is, or well, I should rather ask you, Aaron, is there such thing as a standard contract agreement? I think, sorry, talking in the decentralized world? No, I'm talking about legacy world. Is there such, so, such a, whenever you want to, you know, sign up with a new, with a, with a label? Yeah. And is there such thing as a standard recording agreement? Because when you say standard, it's like, well, everyone knows that if you're making a cabinet, it's supposed to be right. this tall by by right. this depth, by this uh, width, because that's the standard um, right. thing. Is there so, such a thing in the recording industry? I think, no, to the short answer to your question, I don't think there's a cookie cutter standard contract. There are always the same pieces to a contract, but when it comes to royalty percentages, it's they it's all over the place, right? So there's a lot of variables, like have you, have you, have you sold any records before? Do you have a a big audience following? How do you do on touring? Um, the record company takes all of this into account before they assign a royalty percentage to your albums, right? So like I said before, if you're a new artist, it's really hard to get anything above like 13% royalties for your project because the label is investing in you and they feel that it's too much of a risk to give you more, much more than that, right? And if you're a huge artist, you can't get it much more than 20% um, of your ro your recording royalties of your sorry of your uh, sales royalties so i think there's a huge range of different combinations that each artist can have and there's a lot of different ways where they can really take advantage of an artist through these contracts 
and you mentioned uh, how artists can renegotiate um, after each uh, record. That's called escalation in the music industry. So sometimes if your album does really well, you can have the chance to negotiate a higher royalty percentage, but that doesn't happen for a few years at least. Um, and sometimes you don't even get the increased rate on your previous albums. It's only for future albums. So there's so many ways um, to format your record contract with the record company. And there's a lot of ways where uh, if you're uneducated, you can get taken advantage of. If someone from the legacy world, we talk about, you know, who is in the legacy world, legacy music industry, and the, the independent artist that actually says no to the legacy world and wants to join it through blockchain. But how about a seasoned music record, uh, recording artist, music performer, or songwriter? How about them, you know, joining in through blockchain? How would that translate? Because they already have, let's say that it is someone that already has five records, has won a Grammy, Right. Is very well known. Has traveled. Has traveled the world, and they're up. In, they're up to a point in their career where they say, "I want to experiment. I want to be one of the first, the first ones to actually just tokenize my, myself and go through this route and see, see what I can get out of this." Right. How would how would that actually work? Because a lot of people ask me when I'm explaining token, they they say. Well, if we go through Tokit, that that means that I can't go. That means that I cannot have my song play in a in a TV ad commercial, and I would not wow. get paid because I can't go to the music publisher. And that's not right because every time you 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 do something with your intellectual property, you're supposed to register it so people don't just right. like pirate it or just take advantage of it. I mean, it is your property, so you're right. supposed. To You're supposed to take legal action. You're before you do anything. Please always consult with a lawyer, with music industry or entertainment industry uh, person that actually knows what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And um, you know, piece of advice, free advice, right there. So mm -hmm. how 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 would that seasoned veteran artist would actually go through our platform? How would how would he force to mix legacy and blockchain? How would how would right. that work from your point? So there's a, there's a couple of scenarios, right? So the first yeah. scenario is if you're creating a brand new project, you're a very seasoned artist, you'll have no problem uh, raising the funds through Tokit, and thus you have fundraised and you're, you're ready to record your album, and then you go ahead and record it and put it up on Singularity TV's distribution platform for people to listen to. That is the blockchain model, right? You can, comp you can easily see the sales of your, of your album, And all of the the great um, the the transparency plus the speed of payment um, is a huge plus. Now, we are not stopping artists from putting it on other platforms. That that would be a complete compromise to what we're trying to accomplish here, right? We we do not own the IP of an artist. The artist owns the IP of their work. They can put it on a Spotify or any other distribution platform to monetize in the legacy world. But we are purely monetizing their content in the distributed world, the blockchain, um, the blockchain world on EtherVision. So we are, we, we speak for our, our system. So we can, we, we want artists to be able to transparently see their revenue and want them to be able to receive their fair share that they're not receiving in the legacy world. We're not taking control of their content though. They can do what they want with the content. Um, they own their IP. That is the whole point of 
of having a system on blockchain or an entertainment studio on blockchain. Does that answer your question? It does. It does up to a point. Um, okay. Let's say that it, let's say that they come from. Well, here's the here's here's another scenario. Sure. Um, I'm gonna take Metallica as an example, just because yep. I'm a Metallica fan. You know, right? They already are. They're done with record labels. Yep. And af- after three, four years, they're finally able to say we own all of our masters. And they no longer are associated with ASCAP. Got it. If you actually go, if you actually go to ASCAP, the only person that still uh, receives the royalties through ASCAP as an ex Metallica member is original bass player Cliff Burton. May he rest in peace. Um, but all of the other artists are actually referred when you click on on them. Everything is referred to Creeping Death Records, which is their own music publishing. Uh, company and if you if you want to license one of their songs you actually have to go to easylicense.com i'm not a sponsor in this this is actual information so when you go when you say so they already own their masters and they control all of that entity yep could they tokenize all that so whenever someone actually uses master puppets in a film right that translates into tokenomics? Yes. So the answer to your question is if they truly own everything, all of their IP, the record label doesn't own any of their IP, there's no other publisher that owns their IP, that's, they, they could put it on the blockchain, tokenize their project, and yes, they, they still completely own their IP. They're collecting all of their royalties for the IP um, because it's, it's, that's similar to taking something that you've already created, Right. So if I'm if I'm if I'm a artist, I'm not even that popular, but I've recorded my own album and I just want to put it up on EtherVision um, or COD TV's distribution platform, I can do that and I can receive a majority of the royalties um, way more than I would receive if I on other legacy platforms, right? So you can tokenize any of your content that already exists. Like the catch to that is, if for some reason someone else owns part of it, for example, if you still don't own your masters from your record label or your publisher. That's when there might have to be some royalty split between um, between the content uh, royalties from between the publisher or the record label and the artist. So if Metallica truly is completely independent and they own all of their masters, there's no issue with tokenizing their content and putting it up on the blockchain to collect the royalties transparently. And and what about people such as, for example, and this is a little straying a little bit from blockchain, but you know, it, it, I just remember him as a specific sample, Sir Paul McCartney. He no longer owns his rights to the songs that right. he wrote because they were lost between Apple Records in the UK and some other people bought the music license and bought the catalog. Then another Australian company bought the catalog. Then Michael Jackson right. bought the catalog. And that created you know, um, friction between Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, who Paul McCartney actually told Michael Jackson, if you get into the music publishing business, that's where actually the money is. Right. And this is early, late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, managing your rights, controlling your IP, and knowing where everything that you create is, 
it's so important because that's actually when you tokenize your IP through platforms such as ours, you are you're telling the world this is mine and I'm sharing it with everyone. So we're all participating in we're all participating in the value that is this IP that I created, whether right. it's an album, a movie, a book, or you know any type of video content right. or any type of content creation. But when you when you don't go that route and you know you're you're no longer in control and you actually have to pay people, other people that had nothing to do with sitting down and spending countless hours figuring out rhythm, right. melody, harmony, chords, progressions, root uh, root chords, and so on and so forth. It's really sad. It's really sad that Sir Paul McCartney is no longer able to actually play any of the songs from the Beatles, such as Yellow Submarine, for example. He can play Hey Jude because that was the song that that he sat down and wrote by himself, and he was actually able to you know keep a hold of that. But any of the other songs, no, right. no, it, 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 it's it, he's no longer able to do that. And for example, Little Richard was sold for fifty dollars. Uh, Tutti Frutti. He sold his rights for fifty dollars. Wow. Then in the seventy, he gained he gained that back, but he had to go through, you know, two types of different lawsuits to actually gain back the rights of the song that he composed. And he never made a dime between the 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 composition up till when he finally won the the other the second lawsuit in the seventies. So there's about twenty five plus years where he actually didn't earn a single dime. It's crazy. Well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 20 years. He didn't earn a single dime. And artists such as Elvis, he had to work himself to death so he could still make a living because all of the songs that he sung were written by someone else. He would only show up, record, perform, 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 and because of his performances, he would get paid. But his manager was earning 50% of everything that he would do. It's crazy. So imagine, imagine just imagine just um, instead of having to renegotiate contracts every seven years, or having to work extremely hard to renegotiate your contract just so you can go from thirteen percent to fifteen percent, and then from fifteen percent to seventeen percent, then from that to twenty percent, or even just asking for like, hey, I want actually what's mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna write, produce, executive produce, and distribute the album myself. So I want 80% of every single dollar that the album makes. You actually have to be up till, you know, JC, Beyonce, Adele level. Right. You have to become a legend of that sort and selling millions and millions and millions of records worldwide to do that. Right. But if you're able to, if you're, if you go through the route of blockchain, you can very quickly start earning that. And as soon as you set up the tokenomics and the smart contracts, and you just tell people, this is how many tokens I'm going to share with you. And for example, manager, I'm going to share with you 2,000 tokens. And that's going to be your cut. So everything that, all the value from the tokens, that's going to be yours. At that point in time, it's actually more fair for the artist, songwriter, for the band, than just going through the record label and going through so many steps and everyone stealing right. a piece of your pie or pizza or cake, right. uh, which which you prefer. So we've discussed a, a whole lot on this episode, Aaron. Um, 
you know, reviewing what we've talked about is the music industry has has been, is, and will continue being broken until there is a paradigm shift on how musicians, songwriters, and anyone in the entertainment industry and recording industry figure out that there is another way and there is a different avenue, different path that they can choose from. And I said that it was blurry in my from my side of the of the equation. How do you see the music industry in the next five to ten years? Man, I think it's it's a very large problem to solve. Like we've 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 barely scratched the surface in this conversation. Um, we could go so much more in depth, but five to ten years in time, I I think I think it is going to improve. It's already starting to improve. Musicians are starting to speak up more about what they're actually receiving um, from these digital streaming platforms um, from record labels and people are starting to take that, that push that shift into becoming their own independent artist, which I don't, I don't think 20 years ago that was even a conversation. So um, I think we're moving in a really great direction and it's going to take some time to get there, but I truly think a decentralized uh, record industry is, is the, the future of music where, where artists are empowered to control their own IP and they can transparently collect the royalties and it gives everyone a shot, even a new musician to, to earn their fair share uh, from, from their, their music. Um, but this goes without saying, it still comes down to you have to make music that connects with fans. You still have to make great music that sounds just sonically appealing. And those, the, I think the blockchain will support that creative that creative endeavor. It almost feels kind of, and this is this is quite the oxymoron from my point, but it almost feels back like the beginning of Motown, uh-huh. where we would always get quality sound recording, quality sound, yeah. or or going going a little bit into the future and getting pet sounds from the Beach right. Boys, which is like the record, the record from a you know good sound quality and creating that wall of sound that was such amazing uh, and going all the way up to the 80s where there was so there was so much good music um, although record deals were horribly right. bad but still there, you know it, it, there, there was so much creativity flowing flowing at that point in time so we need to go back to that but creating a sustainable economy that people can actually say, I want to be a recording artist and that's it. And I want to make a living out of my art right. and it's as simple as that. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be, uh, you know, scared that anyone, everyone is against me or if anyone is actually with me for my money or what, I mean, through blockchain and tokenizing yourself, I believe that artists are earning what they want of their share, but they're gaining so much peace of mind that it, it would be amazing for the music industry overall to see people just want to sit, sit down and write great songs, great albums that impact generations. Right. Again, no, well, I look, I look forward to seeing that. I look forward to, I look forward to having another Freddie Mercury. So do I. I, I blockchain just makes me, that much more excited about the future of the music industry. I in Singularity TV, I mean, just everyone is so passionate about 
about winning for artists and empowering artists. I think I think we're gonna we're gonna take take the industry where it needs to go. Well, almost everyone. It's funny. Almost everyone is actually a, has been an artist uh, or in some way, shape, or form. Sure. Ever. So. It's funny. I mean, uh, uh, one of our one of our other one of the persons uh, from the marketing department asked me, "Do you have anything that you recorded?" And I share share with them. I'm like, "Yeah, I produced this. Or I mixed it and everything." And they were like, "This is great. Why you guys didn't do anything?" I'm like, "It was hard, and I was just trying to make a living. Actually, trying to pay rent <laughs> at that point in right. time. And the band broke up and I, I don't own the rights to any of this so i mean i would just have to go through so right. much to just do everything legit i don't i want everyone to you know earn their their worth because i'm a man of ethics i'm a man of integrity and i mean and that is something to say because you don't find that nowadays in the music right. industry totally maybe we should start a band i'll be in uh, new york you can be in puerto Rico. we can just have a uh, skype skype jam sessions Um, yeah, actually, um, there's a couple of platforms that would help us, uh, achieve that and just connect the DAWs and be able to use just one plugin and you record on, you see what I'm seeing and we record simultaneously and it, it'd oh. be great. We can, br we can bring, um, Carlos Dimas, who is the, the guitar player for Baba Gris. He's uh, one of our members in Singular yeah. DTV and a recording independent artist here in Puerto Rico. He has... He's very well respected in the indie scene here in Puerto Rico, and I I I, I love that guy. Shout out to Baba Gris, uh, they're an amazing band. I uh, love those guys. Well, Aaron, thank you, thank you so much for being here, for taking your time out of um, your business schedule. We're all busy. This uh, podcast is extremely beneficial to our token holders, enthusiasts, and followers. Um. Later on, I uh, we're gonna we're gonna do another episode, but with uh, Mr. Jake Craven, oh. who said that all three of us should sit down and have a really deep conversation about legal and royalties and management and yeah. all that good stuff. I'm, I'm I actually think that I would take my 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 book and sit <laughs> down and be like asking as if he was the teacher. He's really. He's really knowledgeable Jake, in that, Jake's in that very area. very knowledgeable, but I can't wait to get into the nitty-gritty. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you, token holders, followers, enthusiasts for Singular TV. It's been great having you. Um, this has been Singular 4C and Blockchain for All. See you all in the blockchain. Have Bye -bye. a good one.